Good day, nerds. This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina conversation. Today, we're talking to Veronica G. Henry. We're talking about her book, The Foreign Exchange. It comes out on February 28th. Um, It is a second installment in the Mambo Reina series. So the first book is called The Quarter Storm. That's available now. So you could check that out in the meantime. Um, And this conversation was really cool. I really enjoyed learning about her research process and all the fascinating things she learned, but also you know, kind of the information that she had to weave around in order to bring the story to, um, to life. Uh, but you guys will see what I mean. Here is Veronica G. Henry. Okay, today we've got Veronica G. Henry talking about the foreign exchange with the, which is the second installment in her Mambo Reina series. Am I pronouncing that right? Mambo Reina? Yes. Okay, I just like because it's spelled like, you know, queen in Spanish. So that's kind of what I'm going off of. Uh, The Quarter Storm, correct, is the first one in the series. And that's available now. The Foreign Exchange comes out on February 28th. Um, Veronica, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. This was different, but I got into it. I could dig it. And, um, it was, it was really cool. Just kind of like diving into, to like this different, like kind of like urban fantasy, magical realism. And I really like the characters and it was so easy to just, just, just really get into it. So, um, I'm excited to, you know, dive a little bit deeper today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and can't wait to get into the discussion. Yeah. So um, to get started, can you give like a little synopsis of the story um, so that, you know, readers can and listeners can follow along with the conversation? Um, Certainly. As you said, this is the second installment in the Mambo Reina uh, mystery series. Um, And it's sort of like a mashup of fantasy and uh, mystery, um, leaning heavily on the mystery side. But anyway, this again, as the second installment, um, my main character, Raina Dumont, um, has tried to get back to her practice after solving a, a grisly murder in the first book. Um, she's tried to get back to her practice as a mambo healer. Um, only a, her client comes to her with a very intriguing um, case to investigate. And it's the case of some money that has mysteriously appeared. Um, reluctantly, she agrees to take a look into what's going on with the money in the account. And it's from her client's husband. So he's the one that's um, just a little bit shady and wants uh, (laughs) wants someone to look into him. Um, Long story short, Raina goes down this really long trail of investigation into where this money comes from. And it leads her into a case that is involving college and high school sports. Um, it is involving uh, immigration issues and also a murder from someone who is practicing in a um, in a space that he should not be practicing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I it was it was fun because like as the reader, I was like trying, you know, I was figuring, you know, we're figuring it out with her, right? And then you're like, wait a second, like what? Mm-hmm. How? What? Where's the connection here? And so it was really cool. Like once it makes sense, you're like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fun of mysteries, right? You kind yeah. of get to solve right along the uh the detective and um and you stumble in the same places that she may stumble, or you may see things that she doesn't even see. So that's kind of the fun of reading mysteries. And I'm a big fan of mysteries in general. Um, but coming from a, a background of writing speculative fiction, 
I, of course, could not write a street mystery. It was somehow <laughs> or another always going to end up with a, a speculative or a fantasy leaning bent. So that's that's the space that I like writing in, although who's to say might have a straight mystery in my future at some point. But, you know, just reading in this space, uh, reading folks like Walter Mosley, who kind of does the same thing. He he writes mysteries, but he also writes sci-fi. Walter can write anything that he wants. <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, focusing on writing something that was unique to me, uh, something that felt right to me, um, and writing something that kind of blended both genres uh, actually felt good. Yeah, that's yeah, that's like another point I was gonna like I wanted to explore because it is very much like it spans the two genres, and I think it's interesting how you you know you blended the two and you made it work, you know, because that's mm-hmm. kind of like where I was going with like I don't know like how how are they going to match up? And then you're like, Oh, okay. (laughs) But yeah, that's part of it. Like kind of pulling the reader and leaving clues, figuring it out, seeing if the reader figures it out, trying to help uh, Mambo Reina figure it out, even though, and and I like, she's just so she's likable. And she was like, so authentic because there are moments where she just, it goes completely over her head and Mm -hmm. she seems a little confident. Like, I'm just, I haven't read the first book. I might do like audiobook, but, um, cause I want to get to know her a little bit more, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, compare mm-hmm. her, her progress from the first book. But yeah, it's like, it's, she's seems like pretty confident. Like she's ready to hit the ground running and she's like, Oh no, I got this. I could figure this out. And then later she's like, Oh God, like I didn't I see know. it or I missed it <laughs> yeah. or I've, you know, she falls into, she gets duped a couple of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like girl, <laughs> she does. And in the first book, um, it's a similar situation. And it's you know, it's a book that you re- you know the foreign foreign exchange. Obviously, you can read on your own, and it's a separate mystery. Yeah. Of course, some of the characters um, overlap. Um, and if you read the first one, you, you of course get to know Mambo Reina better, but you also get to know the the cast of characters um, better. You know, Tika, her friend, Sweet Belly, uh, Lucian. Some of those folks, of course, appear in the first book and the second and hopefully third, fourth, fifth. Um, but you can read them as standalones. Um, in the first book, of course, she is definitely more of a fish out of water when it comes to being a detective um, because it's it's simply not her space. But um, through and I won't give away too many spoilers, but through circumstances that she um, finds her in once finds herself in once again, she's kind of forced to go down this road that she really doesn't want to go down. And in Mm. the first book, the thing that's on the line is her tradition, right? Her religion um, and someone that's implicated. So she's kind of forced to go and figure out what's going on in that one. In this one, she's trying to back away from that because, you know, things went badly (laughs) in the first book as well. Um, So in the second book, she's like, hey, you know, I don't want to do this. I want to get back to who I am. I want to just go back to my my backyard practice. Um, But once again, gets drawn in. And so what you see in the second book is just a little bit of an evolution in that she um, is a bit more comfortable in the space of being a detective. Um, And she's, I think, for the first time, considering that she could possibly do both at the same time. Mm. Yeah. So that's kind of the the evolution that I wanted people to see in in, in terms of her character arc. Yeah. And I yeah, I definitely got that where she was still kind of like, you know, she's in the shallow end Mm -hmm. and she's, you know, she finds herself going in the deep end, even though, you know, she needs to like kind of take it easy like mm-hmm. be careful you know she's that she doesn't have her floaties on or she doesn't she doesn't have <laughs> enough swim lessons under her belt per se you know it's like exactly. she's still but she still finds herself being drawn and mm-hmm. before she knows it she's like 
it's like, oh, wait a second, you know? Um, so yeah. And there's like a bunch of stuff that I want to explore, but, um, can we go into your background a little bit? Cause this, um, you did write another standalone before you started this series and yeah, I just kind of want to like go into your background and maybe kind of like what, uh, what pulled the story out of your brain? How, what made you decide to like share and develop these characters in this world and share, share it with, you know, other audiences? Um, right. So I'll, I'll take you back to the start. My first book, as you mentioned, is a standalone and it's called Bacchanal. Um, and that book was basically just an homage to one of my favorite writers um, was Ray Bradbury. And occasionally when I just need a pick me up, I reread something wicked this way comes. Mm. So um, it was during a reread of that book that I said, hmm, what would this look like if told from my perspective or, or my grandma's perspective? Mm. Um, you know, how could I tell this story? What would it look like with a different cast of characters? And, and my book isn't like 100% similar to that, but it certainly um, was uh, an inspiration, I think I want to say. So um, that path of publication, like many other authors, was a very, very long one. Um, so I wrote that book probably uh, a decade before it was published. Um, an, an iteration of it I finished um, and I knew that I wasn't ready to tell the story that I wanted to tell. So I put it in a drawer, a virtual okay. <laughs> a virtual drawer <laughs> and went on and wrote something else. And that story will never see the light of day. But <laughs> after that, well, I'll take you through the publication piece and then we'll go into um, the Mambo Reina series. Um, I pulled that book back out. There was a mentoring program that um, I think was offered through I think it was uh, Justina Ireland and it was called We Write in the Margins. So I found out about that mentorship and that would pair you with a published author. So I went through that program and I worked with both um, Mary Robinette Kowal and Kate Marshall. I got outstanding advice um, from both of them. They helped me take that manuscript um, to something that was actually publishable. Mm-hmm. And that's and after that, that's when I got my agent um, and we went through that process of you know getting it polished up and going out on submission. Uh, landed the publisher and the rest of that piece is history. So fast forward. Um, after I finished uh, Bacchanal, I wanted to write, I think it was something that I watched. That was it. I was watching something and it featured some element of voodoo. And as was always the case, it was a very negative depiction. Mm. It was um, something that I knew in my gut, having grown up around people who followed that faith, that I'm like, that's not true. That's not the way it is. So the writer in me said, hmm, how could you tell that story and give it justice? I'm not a practitioner. Um, I'm not from Haiti. I am um, <laughs> not, I have not done any, I had not, not done any study, you know, on the religion or the tradition before that, but I'm a writer. What do we love to do? Research. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, that kind of just that situation, watching that negative depiction kind of just sparked the idea for me. And the rest was the rabbit hole. Right. I, I went and got books. I wrote, read everything I could. I watched more bad films, read more bad depictions and articles and things like that that painted everything you know, negatively. So I knew exactly what I didn't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So through that period of research, uh, talking to practitioners, reading books written directly by practitioners, um, I got the idea of the story that I wanted to tell, and the main character started to form um, in my head. Uh, actually, that was second. The main, the first character that came to me was actually Tika. 
Okay. I I can tell a little bit, I think. I really liked her. (laughs) Yeah. And I ended up writing, um, as I do sometimes, I wrote a short story about her just so I could get to know her a little bit better. Yeah. Um, And it was just for me, it's not something that was published or anything. It's just uh, an exploration that you do to kind of, you know, figure out who your character is. Sure. So I knew her um, the best. And then I came up with Raina as the person because she's not the, she's, her character is not the type that actually leads a story. But she's the type that a story really, really needs because she's the wild card, right? Mm-hmm. You know, she gets to do everything that you want to do that you know that you can't do and that mm-hmm. maybe you can't have your main character do. So I just had to pair with the right person. And that's how um, <laughs> Raina was born. So that's kind of the the idea of how how I got the idea to write the book and how I came up with my first couple characters. And yeah, everything kind of evolved from there. The writing um, put, took probably... I want to say um, my first draft is always three or four months, um, mm. but then the process to edit. Um, that was the first time in my life, too, that I wrote to a deadline because okay. my first <laughs> yeah, my first book was, you know, something I had worked on, like I said, for a decade and went back and forth and had all that time. But I had signed a two book deal. So that mm. second book came with this new thing called a deadline. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I don't have that time to meander and, and think and put it away and you know, stare out the window. I mean, there's some of that, of course. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, the, the deadline is something that, you know, tells you, okay, button chair, you got to get this done. So I think I was done with that second book, maybe a year, year and a half, um, again, with the first draft being about three months. Um, and so I went through a very arduous editing process with the publisher and the book was born. Yeah, I was a little curious about that. Because um it's your third book, but it's the second in the series. And your first one uh, was a standalone. Were there any like, like biggest lessons learned that you carried over when you started this new project, either from Bacchanal to Mambo Reina, or even something like the first book to the second book? Was there any like, like the bigger challenges, biggest lessons learned, something that surprised you during this process? Anything like that? Um, that's a really good question. And it's something that I pay close attention to with every project. Now, um, I try to write down um, some lessons learned, do it in my corporate where we call a post a postmortem, um, mm. just so I can understand things that I, I want to do better things that worked really well. Um, so I will say from the first book to the second, I learned how to write with much more efficiency. Um, mm. And so that meant I had to be really cognizant of my time, social life, no, none. <laughs> um, all those. And, and the funny thing is, I think I was writing this. It was either, and I'm losing track of the time, the first book um, wasn't COVID, but I think the second one I wrote during COVID. So the foreign exchange was written during a time where I wasn't doing anything anyway. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but again, I had to be really cognizant of my time. I have a day job. Um, of course, that's not optimal for writers, but we make it work. <laughs> I think of Charles Dickens all the time. And I'm like, gosh, he got to just sit and write. And <laughs> how lovely that must have been for him. He didn't have Instagram to worry about. And, right. But, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. um, but again, just learning that um, I, how, to, how to write a book to a deadline is a, a whole nother skill. So that was kind of the first thing that I wrote. Uh, that I noted rather. And the second thing is my first book is kind of, again, I, I find it hard to to write in the margin. So that book was kind of literary, horror, fantasy, um, magical realism, <laughs> all in one. And the second book, the second, the series, that's more uh, 
Um, and it was historical, if I didn't say that first. Um, so the second book is historical, but it's much more um, recent history. Mm. So there was a totally a different um, landscape that I was working with. Um, totally different time, totally different language, totally different everything um, from the way that the characters uh, walked, talked, existed in the world um, during that time was totally different. So I'm writing something very historical and then something very modern. So mm. that was a total um, switch of mindset, um, not only for me, but for my characters, right? Uh, so that was also a lesson. And I also discovered which space I'm more comfortable in. And I'm yeah. going to keep that a secret. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love stretching myself. I love doing things that kind of um, scare me. So I'm glad that I had the opportunity to write the series. Would love to continue um, on with these characters because I fell in love with them. You know, the second mm-hmm. book um, even got to spend more time with them, um, get to watch them. You know, some of them grew. Some of them stay in the same place, but they're a, a pretty fun cast of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I didn't mention before, the foreign exchange, the idea came to me from watching 60 Minutes. Uh, and okay. it was a, a John Wertheim story about um, athletes and basically athletes from um, the continent of Africa. I won't say a whole heck of a lot more about the story because it might give away um, some yeah. plot points in the novel, <laughs> but that's where I got the idea. And so the second thing that I found, I'm one of those writers that it takes a long time for my ideas to germinate. Um, mm. But when you, again, when you're on contract and someone says, Hey, I like what you're doing. I'm going to let you write some more books. Mm-hmm. I don't have that time to let my ideas germinate as much. I have to kind of, you know, push myself to say, okay, where's your, and I keep a, a list of ideas, just general thoughts, random things that I've seen. And those are what I use to kind of construct what will be my next story. Um, but I had to speed that process up. So you have to learn to get more um, focused, I think, um, in, in your intent on what you want to write and also become more cognizant of things just in everyday life um, that you can use as just little you know, story bits, story inspiration, little bits of character development, scene, setting, um, those types of things. So um, just to turn, tune the mind to be more open to what's around you. Again, be a little bit more laser focused in how I develop and come up with my ideas. And just that switch again from writing historical to something more contemporary. Those are the things that uh, I took away from writing books, book one to book three. Yeah, that's, I really like how you, um, you know, you're, you're honest. I, I appreciate your honesty about getting into the zone or staying in in the zone for lack of better words. It just, mm-hmm. cause I, you know, I feel like people can relate to that almost any task at hand. If, you know, deadline or no deadline. It's, you know, mm-hmm. for, for those people who have the nine to fives, they're just like, no, okay. Like again, put away the distractions. Like I, mm-hmm. I have got to get this done. <laughs> like, or I can't yeah. just sit around here putting everything off all the time. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's definitely a struggle. Um, were there any, like, did you have any, like, you know, rituals or anything to help you stay focused or like, was it just straight up like cold turkey? turning your phone off, <laughs> like anything <laughs> like that? Um, very good question. Um, because you do have to, um, you do have to, at least for me, I, I have to come up with a, a ritual to help myself get in, into the right mindset. Um, so having the day job again, I knew that I had to write early because that's when I'm sharpest. Sometimes by the end of the day, um, no, frankly, by three o'clock, my brain is mush. <laughs> 
And yeah. there's just not a whole heck of a lot left there. So I recognize that I'm best early. Um, and I do wake up early in general, but I had to push early um, a little bit further. My husband was reading a book by, um, there's this Navy SEAL at Goggins. I can't remember the first name. Um, and he was telling me about how the Navy SEALs went about structuring their day. And I was already probably getting up at like six o'clock to write and then starting work at eight. But he's like, I think you might have to, but I wasn't you know, having enough time. So he told me about how they get up at five in the morning, then they exercise first, then they do this, that, and the other. So of course I had to adopt that. And exercise is another thing that is really important to me. Um, and that kind of helps me get started working. So again, I pushed my, um, my start time to five o'clock, got a half an hour of exercise in, clean up, and then I can uh, sit down to work. And my work time is pretty flexible. So between 7.30 and 8 is when I start. And that time before then, between exercise and then, that's when I'm laser focused on doing my writing or editing. Now, that's when awesome. It gets, yeah, when it gets close to um, time, like I have the next book that's due on April 1st, I'll start doing what I call my two-a-days. And so that's... Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That says, I don't care if you have much brain, you're going to have to work anyway. Yeah. So we'll have dinner, um, we'll clean up, I'll have some time to sit and just, um, you know, we just talk about our days. And then maybe seven o'clock or so, I'm back at it. If I can get an hour in, I'm good. If an hour and a half, I'm, I'm knocking it out the park. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, at that time, I have to do more just to kind of get things done. Um, not optimal. Um, yes, you're tired at the end of uh, three or four months, but you get it done. And I also like for, you can call it guilt, you can call it inspiration, you can call <laughs> it uh, whatever you want. Um, I write usually with my friend, um, also outstanding author, Nikki Drayden. Um, we used to live in Austin together, we wrote together all the time. But since I moved, we do like a virtual meetup. And we kind of just sit down, bang out some words, chat, bang out some more words, chat. Sometimes we do more chatting than writing, but that's okay too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of the process. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. You know, because I, I, I'm an early riser, reluctantly, so I, I definitely get it. Where and your husband's suggestion, where it's like, no, because then even if yeah, exercising um, is important to you, you just get it, get it done and over with at the beginning, first thing, so mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about it for the rest of the day, unless if you're doing your two a days then hopefully you don't have to do two workouts also to like part of that like (laughs) routine, but who knows? Yeah, no, I I love that. And I think it's, um, that's so helpful. I think that definitely there is something about like exercising to like, just really get your brain uh, working. And I think, and and I notice if I don't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, you know, cause I had a pretty good routine going on and then I think I, over like the holiday season, I was, I swear I was sick for like three weeks and I was like, that's fine. I'm just going to sleep in and rest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now that I have my, my sinuses and everything clear again, I'm like back at it. I just, I could tell, like, I just feel much more on top of my game and yeah. it really, it, yeah, it does make a difference once you like, yeah, your body feels it, your brain feels it. It's just mm-hmm. like, it, and you feel good. Like once you're, once you're in it again. So I totally totally get it totally appreciate that there i love so i have a, a few questions but like well i have my list of questions but you like seamlessly like transition <laughs> to so many of the topics so i'm like i'm, I'm excited <laughs> about that <laughs> like appreciate it <laughs> so this is like a two-part question i love asking this um what were the most challenging parts to write and then what were the most enjoyable parts to write 
Oh, let's see. I will say the most enjoyable parts to write are any time that Tika, uh, Sweet Belly, or Lucian are on the page. Um, those characters, um, they just start doing and speaking themselves. <laughs> you know, just their characters, their their personalities are so well um, cemented that they kind of just take over and it just kind of flows out. Whatever they say, do. It's almost like I don't have control over anymore, but they're a lot of fun. Um, they're really good cast of characters, and I, I think they do a good job of being the wild cards to Raina, who's much more, you know, straight-laced, I guess I want to say, and um, the one that kind of is the stabilizing force, I think, of the group. So they're always a heck of a lot of fun to write. The most difficult parts, I would say, are the magical parts, right? Mm. Um, it's because you have to make it you know, the mystery is also fun. It's like I start out with what I think is a, a nugget of the mystery. But what I found in the writing is that that start expanding as you're writing and you're you're dropping little hints here and there. You've got a red herring going on over there. So that's kind of starts to bloom. And that that part is also a lot of fun because at the beginning, at least for me, I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> and it starts to unfold a little bit. And I even write an outline, right? Yeah. Um, but, after the first two or three chapters, that outline's like, yeah, whatever. It's, it's in the corner yeah. somewhere. I don't even know what I'm writing. Um, but that part is fun. But the difficult parts for me were the magic. Because um, the first thing is I wanted to be respectful of the tradition. So I did not want to include things that, you know, that I, you know, was not an expert on. For, for one thing, that's the first thing. Um, two, I did not. I was very cognizant of the fact that I didn't want to do anything disrespectful. Yeah. And three, I wanted to make something I, I wanted to be able to use creative license. Right. So to take something that has a nugget of truth, but be able to add in elements of my own imagination to fit the story um, again in a manner that made sense. That was fun for the reader, um, but was also, again, respectful of that tradition. So that was just like, you know, it, it almost felt like writing on eggshells. You talk about walking on eggshells. It was writing on eggshells. Yeah. Just to make sure that, you know, I'm taking things that I read in, in books about the tradition. I'm trying to say, okay, I'm going to use this little bit, but I'm going to tweak it a little bit. I'm not going to use this ingredient. I'm not going to use this this particular thing or this saying. Um, just to, you know, just, like I said, I just wanted to be very, very cognizant of how I was representing something that I was not really a part of. And by all means, I don't think authors have to um, stay in your lane. You should mm. be the part of writing. If I only wrote what I knew, um, you know, I, my career would be over in, in, in a book, <laughs> right? But part of the fun of this career is being able to research, is being able, I mean, that's, that's a boatload of fun. Yeah. In a subject that you don't know anything about, diving into it, talking to experts, reading. Um, this is like going to school for things that you really like, right? Yeah. So um, I did a whole bunch of that work and I even talked to, you know, a real, real live mambo um, and just kind of asked the sort of things that I should stay away from and things that were um, okay to go into. It's like things like initiation. Um, that's a secret process. She talks about her initiation, but I don't even dare to go into yeah. um, a sliver of what that process looks like because that's something that I, I felt like was off off limits. So I kind of left that alone. But that was probably the most difficult thing. It's kind of weaving in elements of that tradition, 
making it magical, but making it be um, respectful of the people who practice that tradition as well. Yeah, yeah. And I like how you put that where, because obviously I imagine researching is like, you know, definitely the most fun. But yeah, it's like you don't want to you don't want to come off as ignorant. You want to come off as authentic and you right. and absolutely respectful. You all, yeah, like you all want to also challenge yourself and right. you want to explore new things and be creative too. What was like the most surprising thing that you learned? Maybe not necessarily about like while well, researching, not necessarily about the voodoo part of mm-hmm. it, that whole um, community, but just like in general, while you were developing either this book or both books, like, with your whole research process, what were there any like things that you found the most fascinating things that you, that surprised you? Yeah, actually one of the things that I, I was not aware of at all is like um, just the tradition of Vodou. So there's a Vodou, um, which is uh, what originated in West Africa. Mm-hmm. And then, and that kind of migrated over to Haiti during the transatlantic uh, slave trade and other parts of the, of South America, wherever, um, the enslaved folks were taken. They brought that religion right along with them. Santeria, Candomblé, all of these things um, bir- are birthed from from uh, Vodou. Mm. Um, but what landed in New Orleans, of course, again, was kind of um, that tradition, but with elements of Catholicism mixed in. Mm. And what the enslaved folks did was just what I thought was frankly ingenious. So you weren't allowed to practice your tradition. You weren't allowed to speak your your language. All of that was stripped from you for you know purposes of stuff that we are, are of course aware of. But what they did was say, okay, we're going to take your Catholic saint Mary, and we're going to camouflage her um, over one of our gods or goddesses. So that that process of kind of just like being an overlay onto their their own why, am I, why can't I come up with the word? Their own gods, goddesses, all, everything in that tradition, um, just sort of that mixture. Um, shock, you know, that was a real shock to me. I didn't understand that they had to do that. And um, I just thought it was ingenious because they were still able to practice. They just used a different name for something, um, but they knew exactly what they were doing. So that one was uh, a bit of a surprise to me as well. But again, that was um, quite interesting to to find out. And I think the other thing for me, too, in research was just the story, again, that John Wertheim did, just um, kind of digging into that a little bit. And I actually was able to talk to him about it. Um, I can't believe I was able to get him on the phone. But just understanding that whole process of, um, you know, college athletics, the NBA, how that is all connected, um, mm. that, that was something that I simply was not aware of, how that whole thing goes. And again, having read the book, you know what I'm talking about, but I won't go into it. Um, just so we don't have any spoilers, but that yeah. <laughs> also was just a fascinating bit of research. Yeah, that is too. And it's kind of, um, I think I did read like, well, I, I, I caught that in the acknowledgements, um, in the back of the book after the story. And yeah, I thought that was so fascinating too. Cause I was like, I think the first thing I thought, of course it happens. Like, of course mm-hmm. this is based on something that happens. Cause it seems so, outlandish and so far reaching but it's Mm -hmm. like why wouldn't something like that catch on absolutely 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, and then spinning the whole corruption into it. <laughs> it's like, <Right. laughs> yep. Let's, now let's, let's see, you know, let's make things little, you know, for, for literature, for the story, for the drama, all that good stuff. So yeah, Absolutely. I thought that was pretty cool and fascinating too. And, um, that's awesome that you were able to, um, get the person on the phone to get, to, yeah. to re- just have a more one-on-one with him. That was, that's oh, really yeah. awesome. That, that stuff is gold. Um, anytime that you're able to talk to an expert in the field um, from talking to the mom, well, I was actually, there's actually a black woman owned detective agency in New Orleans, Sly Fox um, agency. And I was able to talk to a black woman who's a detective in New Orleans. That's I mean, awesome. Like I said, pure gold. When you can get someone on the phone or even um, an email that can, that you can ask the right questions the real questions, things that might not be in, and I love books, um, uh, but things that might not be in the books, things that um, experiences that they have um, that they can speak directly to you about. Um, that's where you really get, get some gold for your book. And, and doing that research again with the thing with the athletics, um, I was very easily able to come up with the bad guy, right? Um, I knew who this person was going to be. I knew the attitude that he was going to have. Um, and he, again, was a lot of fun to write because he is so overconfident <laughs> but it, <laughs> and he is so just he is so um, clueless at the same time. It has no idea that he's clueless. Um, but still, he stumbled into something. He did his own research, however flawed, um, but he turned it into something that it, it shouldn't be. But he was a lot of fun to write. And again, through research. Um, and reading about different people that were involved in, in these types of activities, I was able to take little bits and pieces of each of the people that I read about and construct that one character. So that's also the fun part uh, of research. Story elements come out of it. Not only do you get the background information that you need to, to write the story, but then you get little bits of setting. Again, you get mm-hmm. little bits of character, uh, those types of things that also end up in the story. Yeah, I love that. So are you from um, New Orleans or do you have like strong ties to it? Um, and why you decided to set the, the book and the story in that environment? Uh, I am not from New Orleans. I visited one time and just felt um, an immediate connection to the city, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just felt comfortable there. And I've lived um, in a few place, places around the country, but um, we just went for a visit and I really liked it. And I thought the city is actually fairly you know, a fairly historic place in the country. And I thought it'd be really cool to set a story there. So, you know, again, I just read books on New Orleans. I visited, I I took pictures and uh, stuff like that. So I'm like, and and lots of stories have been set in that, in that place for that very same reason. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's just a a really unique city in the country. It is. I, I've been there once. Um, It was for, yeah, it was me and a a group of girls for, um, it was for my best friend's uh, bachelorette party. So it was definitely Mm -hmm. a certain vibe we had for that. We got it. It was just for the weekend though. We got there Saturday morning and left Sunday night, but I feel Mm -hmm. like I was so excited for the food and like, I, it was just so good. Um, And yeah, just like the nightlife is just, it's just something different. And also we, you know, we were killing time before our uh, flight in the morning or at that evening. And the person that we got, the, the cab driver, so to speak, that we got to take all of us back to the airport. He's like, well, I'll pick you up early. I'll give you a quick, like, you know, rundown of like a little history and, mm-hmm. and took us around the, the, 
like the su- not the suburbs, but you know, like the little neighborhoods around it. Um, and yeah, kind of going over what had happened during like a post Katrina, which you right. also talk about in your story, like very much right. focusing on those communities and how they were affected. And the events of Katrina had a huge like impact on uh, Mambo Reina's like life, like yeah. her relationships, like. It's like that longing for family. And I kind of want to explore that a little bit too, um, where it's like, you know, her relationships with her parents are a little complicated, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, just from the, 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 you know, impression that I got from, from following the second story was that, yeah, it's like her, you know, you kind of touched on those struggles that I imagine the community, not just the New Orleans community, but also like the Vodou community that practices that, like, you know, their loved ones may not understand it or just may either may be apathetic or just straight up against it. Mm -hmm. And she seems to have kind of picked a side with her dad because she couldn't really ignore that part of her. Um, But then she's still like, like she feels like her mom, like tugging at her and, you know, obviously without getting too much into it, but I think people who have read, the first book would still mm-hmm. kind of get that. Okay. Um, but, and that's like, again, why I also appreciate your style of writing. It was able, I was able to follow along no problem and, and, you know, kind of pick off where I pick up where I imagine um, readers of the first book uh, left off. But right. I just wanted to explore that a little bit, like her family ties and kind of her internal struggle of like, you know, like paying attention to who she is and, and wanting to respect that and appreciate that. But also like, she's still like heartbroken. Like she's still right. like, she's yeah. a piece of her is missing. Absolutely. You know, in the first book, um, I do touch on, like I said, it's set 10 years after Hurricane Katrina, but you can still see the effects not only around the city, but with the people, right, of, of what happened. Um, some of those, they're still healing yet, you know, that needs to be done. Um, but I thought it was an interesting time to set the story. I, I didn't want to set it exactly during that period, but I wanted it to be um, really impactful on, on her life, even a decade later. So that's when, and, and this isn't a spoiler really, but we we learned during the first um, first book, you know, that her mother is not with them anymore. But like a lot of people um, that have, you know, a lot of people suffered during during the uh, hurricane you don't know what happened to your loved ones. Some people were never found. So that's the situation that um, Raina's in with her mother. Um, but through her interaction with her dad, who's still alive, and he's the one that has the uh, Vodou tradition. They are from Haiti. They immigrated to um, New Orleans. Um, also during the time of Papa Doc and some of the things that were going on in Haiti. So they kind of kind of got out of the, you know, out of there with barely anything to their names and relocated. Um, but the parents, of course, um, had a strained relationship. Um, her father wanted her to follow in the tradition of Vodou. Her mother wanted her to, you know, go to college, embrace America, go to college, get a corporate career and kind of just leave that behind. So that struggle ultimately ended up separating her parents um, and driving a wedge, I think, between her relationship with her mom and with her dad, even though she ended up siding with her dad. But the themes of family are strongly um, and heavily weighed in the book. And that is, I think, the reason that uh, Raina tries so hard to maintain relationships, not only with her ex-boyfriend, but with Tika and with 
sweet belly is because she doesn't have her mother. And it's because her father is, you know, out in the swamplands and they have a relationship. But, you know, like you said, it's complicated. So she tries to recreate um, a family with the other people that are in her life and maintain that balance. And that's not easy to do either because they're all uh, a bit prickly uh, on their own. So um, I'm glad that you picked up on the theme of family and what it means to her. And it's because of the loss that she suffered that it matters so much to try to keep these people, you know, together in her life. Yeah. Yeah. And and she, and I definitely picked up on that too, where she, it's because she puts more effort into like fostering the, the -hmm. found family, the family that she's trying to like keep together with um, Tika and sweet belly is Daryl, right? Yes. Okay, because you use the mm-hmm. word, I feel like you use Daryl's more often than you use Sweet Belly, although it was yes. um, the recipe she tries to make. It's like Sweet like sweet Belly's <laughs> yeah. dirty rice or whatever. Yeah. So, which I, that was a fun little break in between uh-huh. where it's like, well, she's, and he's like, no, he, something isn't right. <laughs> like, you did something <laughs> to this. Yeah. But yeah, and yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's one more reason why I just, yeah, I just found her to be a little more likable just because of that one little characteristic of her where she was just, you know, she's just trying, like she's trying to hold on and embrace that like companionship. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, I, I really love the interaction. I like how you said, you know, your favorite parts were like anytime her, her, uh, her friends come on, on the page mm-hmm. or the other characters come on the page because one of my favorite interactions, I think were, um, detective Roman was straight up mm-hmm. like, did they not want me here? And yeah, she's like, <laughs> She's like, that's absolutely what they said. But she's like, no, what do you mean? <laughs> exactly. It was like, it was like one of the few moments because you, you get the impression, the readers get the impression that, you know, Detective Roman is like kind of like no nonsense and very serious. And, mm-hmm. but then he kind of like lets that little like insecurity show or that little like, yeah, that vulnerability. A little yeah. Bit there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I just love to see it. I just love where it's like, you know, you can kind of humble him a little bit or kind of just like just be real about it just be like well yeah yeah because you know we're not you know it's like because because there's history there and of course her best friends are going to know like everything and Mm -hmm. that's you know that's all the drama that you go to it's like we're all those memes that you see where it's Mm -hmm. you know when that you know, I give my best friend all my advice and she goes and does the opposite thing. Exactly. <laughs> Just, <you know. laughs> yeah. And, and Roman is, I think he was a lot of fun as well because she had to have a, a love interest. Um, but I wanted like everything in her life. I wanted it to be complicated. You know, they have their good moments, but like any relationship, they have their moments. I mean, they not only have the differences of religion, right? So you have that to contend with. He's strictly Catholic, even though he doesn't like practice. He was raised that way. And that's what he considers himself. Um, And that's completely at odds with her tradition, even though there is an overlap, but he's, he's just not accepting it. He's a police detective. Tika kind of skirts the law at every chance that she can. Mm -hmm. So that (laughs) dynamic um, is a difficult one. And these are the people, you know, that she, again, is keeping uh, close to her and trying to construct this family. But it doesn't always go very well because they don't necessarily like each other. And yeah. she's not willing, quite willing to give either up. So um, I love the conflict that's kind of built in there. I love the vulnerability, even that all of them show, because um, she's the one that kind of binds them all. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of want to make an effort for her. 
but no, it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> they're still, <laughs> they're still going to be themselves, right? They're exactly. Gonna... <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I agree. That was like, probably, I did enjoy those little interactions. Yeah. All the characters are very, they're likable and they're different. And um, I just, I, I love it when, when it's done very well. So just a couple more questions before we wrap up here. What advice would you give to Mumbo Reina? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. Um, let me ponder that a moment. What would I tell <laughs> Reina? I think Reina is sometimes um, a little rigid um, in her belief and her stance that she is right. Um, I think that Raina would do well to listen a little bit more to the people in her life um, and try to be a little bit more flexible, particularly with her father, um, but kind of everybody around her. And she has this vision not only for herself, but for, again, her made, made up family and her and her dad. Um, and she's kind of firm in what she believes that they should be, what they should do. And it's not real flexible. So I think, again, she would do do well to listen a little bit more to the people around her. Mm-hmm. That's good advice for everybody sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's like... Yeah, it's kind of hard for us all, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> advice to myself, learn to listen. A little bit. Right. Like just, <laughs> yeah, just listen, just be mm-hmm. quiet or at least, you know, just yeah. don't. Yeah, it just reminds me of like, you know, well, you don't even have to be arguing with somebody to like, just maybe just sit back and, and take a beat, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, there doesn't even have to be conflict. Just like, no, just listen. Just listen. <laughs> just, just fine. Take 10 seconds. Yeah, exactly. So what what do you hope uh, readers get out of um, her story? Oh, I hope readers really understand that we all have complicated families and complicated relationships. Um, but that, you know, there is, the, the one unifying thing is love. And the second part is respect. Right. And if you have those things, you can pretty much navigate yourself through any of the conflicts that we have as family. There's no mm-hmm. such thing as a perfect family. There are blended families. There are, you know, biological families. There are, um, you know, new new families, people that um, you come together with and, and build a family in whatever shape, form or fashion. Um, and that's OK, too. And that's kind of the the first thing. The second thing I want people to know, just not only from Raina, but from the story is that um, there are traditions, there are beliefs, there are um, communities that are different than your own, but it doesn't make them any less Mm. um, or any worse than yours, just different. Mm -hmm. And there's many, many more similarities if you look at it, than there are differences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfect. Absolutely. And then lastly, so what can readers expect for uh, the next book? I don't know if I caught this, if you said you're only signed on for two books or if you're just, if, if we're going to see how this goes, what, what plans would you have or do you have for, for the next installment? Um, I have a couple things going. So I would love to write another installment in the Mambo Reina uh, series um, I already have the mystery in mind of what I would like to explore. Um, again, it's something else that I read. So um, I think it'll be a really interesting story to explore. So stay tuned on that one. Um, but my next book, the one that I am working on at the moment is a straight fantasy. Um, and that one is sort of like a climate science fantasy 
um, environmental thing. Nice. Set in, set in North, Northern California. I won't say more okay. than that about it, but that one is one that I'm working on now and I'll probably be editing through uh, the rest of this year. Um, I bet that one will probably be out sometime next year. So that's the next one as yet untitled. Nice. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh, real quick. Did you want to plug yeah, like your website and social sure. media? Certainly. You, you can go to my website at veronicahenry.net. I'm on Instagram at the word slinger and Twitter at Veronica writes. Nice. And you can also sign up for my newsletter on my website to find out all the things that I'm working on next. Perfect. Awesome. Veronica G. Henry, um, the foreign exchange is coming out on February 28th. The quarter storm, the first one is available now. Um, thank you so much. It was, it was such a cool conversation. I, um, I always like diving into something different and this was really enjoyable. So, um, you know, thanks for the opportunity to, to get a little, little more out of it, so to speak. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And it was an excellent conversation. Thank you. Okay, so that was Veronica G. Henry talking about the foreign exchange. Like I said, the first book, The Quarter Storm, is available now. The foreign exchange comes out on February 28th. You can find the links to follow Veronica on social media and where to purchase the books on our show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Check out thenerdcantina.com. Um, for my book reviews and continue to follow us on social media at the Nerd Cantina and Cantina Book Club on Instagram and Twitter. And as always, thanks so much for listening.